Hello, and welcome to the Art of Art. Is that what it's called, Race? Yeah. <laughs> the Art of Art. This is where two man children talk about a shallow popcorn flick. <laughs> That's not true. That's what we're doing today. We're going to talk about amazing films. Back and forth, amazing films. All right. Um, but it's a hit nowadays, so it's shallow. It's not shallow. It's one of the best movies ever made. Um, I guess we should talk about, we did a podcast before uh, called Ask the Right Questions. That was like a philosophy and politics podcast. And um, I just kind of lost passion for that. Maybe, maybe. I don't, I just, politics got so toxic, I didn't really want to talk about it anymore. And then philosophy, you just kind of end up repeating yourself on certain things. And it's kind of, I don't know, you need a, like a debate structure, I think, for to make it really interesting. I don't, I don't think we're quite passionate enough about it. No, yeah, it's not like we're not like academics or got a philosophy degree or anything like, where we could. And, and, I, and I, I've I've read books, but you know, I'm not that passionate about it. Yeah, like we could um, talk about it in depth if we were, you know, academics or something. But um, yeah, so that just kind of fizzled out. If we get some kind of audience, um, we can bring that back. If they want to hear it, see it. Do it once in a while, but I, I, I'd much rather talk about art. Yeah. So we've always talked about animation um, and just cartoon art in general and painting and stuff like that. Um, then you started getting into films. If you want to explain that whole journey. Um, I watched I watched the channel Cinemassacre which everybody just knows as angry video game nerd. Yeah. He, he doesn't care about, but James <laughs> himself doesn't care about <laughs> video games that much. He's actually a film guy. So I watched Monster Madness and I just thought those old monster movies were way too cool. I had to watch it. So then I started watching movies and I gained an appreciation for it. Well, you also wanted to watch through the uh, eras too. Which I'm doing. Watch all the decades, yeah, in chronological order, which is annoying. But we're going to break that for this podcast. Going to have to watch movies that are not in chronological order of the decades. I, I, um, I went. I went through. This is not even out of order. <laughs> no, that's true. This one isn't. I already went through the '40s, so it was not of order. You only can watch Christmas movies at Christmas time, anyway. <laughs> that's true. It's in, it's in the rules. Yeah. Even though this movie, I'd, it is a Christmas film, but it's not entirely Christmas. Like, like oh yeah, no, I, you know it. It's Christmas. It, I think it transcends. You're watching race. I, I think it transcends any uh, categories that it's in. Um, I got into a movie. I huh? We still haven't told them what what we what we're watching. Oh, it's a wonderful life. There you go. <laughs> We'll get better. We'll get better at the show. Um, I got into films from 2001. I mean, I've always been watching movies, watched with my dad, watched it with family and friends. But um, 
I just 2001 blew my mind away and I looked up the director and I looked up his Stanley Kubrick. I looked up his other movies and I just started to appreciate the art of films and always want to watch more of them and talk more about them. And then you got into them, which you weren't before. And so now we had more, you know, art to talk about than just cartoons and stuff. So I pretty much only watch TV. Yeah. Well, TV too. Yeah. You talked about some TV shows, but yeah. So, so now I'm excited to just talk about something we're both more passionate about. But I I do remember in high school or maybe it was after high school you told me this was your favorite movie did i you did you did one time you told me it was your favorite movie <laughs> this yeah was, this probably was, this was long before you got into kubrick though i mean right this, this was back in high school or maybe just after it was probably the best movie i've seen up to that point yeah it, it, it's an amazing movie though so i, I don't buy I, I don't blame you yeah no i it is an amazing movie yeah, I would watch Turner Classic movies every so often. My dad showed me a lot of old movies. But yeah, I just wasn't into film that much. Um not in the same way. In, in no, not in, in high school, yeah, not in the same way, not like analyzing them like I do now. But yeah, that makes sense. That would be it would be the best movie I've seen up to that point. Um speaking of analyzing, you never sent me your notes. I, well, I wrote them down. Oh, on real, oh, on real, real <laughs> sliced wood. Yes. But, well, it's a surprise for the show, too, so you could just react to it in the moment. Right? Yeah, it is. I sent you my notes, but you didn't read them. Well, you're, you have a very complicated exposition that you just sent me before the show, so. I, yeah, I'll, just, I'll just listen to you go over that. Um, but what was your... Uh, I mean, you told me a little bit, but what was your just experience watching the film and then after it? Like, what kind of effect did it have on you? I, I kind of wish I was still in that mode so I could show it, but it, it was definitely, it's, de it's absolutely a very touching movie. I mean, it's one of the <laughs> few times I could say I, I actually was very emotional after it. Yeah, you don't get emotional easily. I don't, so. but, you know... Uh, a movie, a movie with uh, with the topic of suicide can really get to me. Mm, yeah, my own personal experiences. Even right, right. Don't, you know, it's definitely a theme throughout. I mean, at the very beginning of the movie, he is stopping Mister Gower from from. Uh, I, I thought actually, it turned out later that he was going to accidentally poison the kid out in the out in the shop. I mm -hmm. thought he was he was going to commit suicide himself. Oh, okay. That's how I took it. I, I didn't realize till later in the movie when Clarence the Angel brought it up. I, I thought he was going to commit suicide because his son died. Oh, all right. I yeah, I. Kid. Well, it's funny by you say that. I by accident. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know. I I forgot that his son died. Like I forgot. I thought he was just drunk but from what from my memory. Stated, it's on a piece of paper that George picked up as a kid. Well, he's looking at a picture of him, and I think I think George mentions it when he's crying. He, uh, um, he picks a piece of paper that that mentions. I, I believe that it, it's a newspaper. I think that mentions it. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty subtle. 
I, I didn't. Um, I, I thought he was going to commit suicide because of that. Right, right. That, that was something I didn't even. So I approved. You have to watch a movie more than once. Mm-hmm. To talk about this. This movie is very detailed. Right here, I, I actually have the frame race. <laughs> there you go. Um, and it's too small. The the movie is extremely detailed. The foreshadowing is constant. Uh, I definitely noticed rewatching it how much I've missed over the years. Um, there's just so much. There's just so much to it. Like even when, well, I don't know how far ahead we want to get in the movie. Um, well, I don't. I don't think we're going to talk about it in a linear manner. No, but well, even like when you know Violet is kisses him in his office and he comes out with a lipstick. Oh, that thing. that that was that was a complete red herring. I thought that was going to become a point of the movie about. I thought his family was going to start to break apart. Mister Potter, Mister Potter threatened him with it. If you remember, Mister oh. Potter said they they people have been seeing you going around with Miss Violet. Yes. Well, that was there, but it, that never actually became a real issue. You know I mean? No, it didn't. It didn't. But there was. There's just a subtle that subtle foreshadowing where it shows everyone reacting to it. Yeah, it was something else on top of it. Yeah, like it. It shows everyone reacting to it, and then Mister Potter threatens him with it. So he's just stacking on the reasons for George Bailey to lose hope. I I just thought it would become a more important thing. Yeah, no, I think it was just uh, it was just to make that Mr. Potter's uh, threats more impactful. Because they just never actually got to marry. No. Um. But uh. Yeah, that's that's definitely I know the thing I noticed rewatching it. Other than the emotional moments, the the beginning where he's like slapping him and he's telling him about the poison that always really got to me. Um, that those are real slaps. That was real blood coming out of his ear. Oh, um, I, I, yeah, something I didn't know. Yeah, um, yeah. One of the video essays I put in the description is like fifty things you didn't know about *It's a Wonderful Life*, yeah, and that was one I of them. I didn't watch them because I I didn't want to sound like I was just repeating st- other people. Well, they're just repeating facts from well, in a certain you know, way, yeah. facts about the movie. Um. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that that scene always really got to me. Even even Mary's crying outside when that happens. Like they even got a, a young actress to cry. I mean, that just the acting is just amazing all throughout. I I can't imagine if like I don't know if the director told them to actually hit the kid, but imagine if he messed up that take. That had to be the first take. That's just so. Um, is that real? Yeah, it's just so amazing how that works out. Um, there's a lot about this movie that um, I don't know. There's a lot about the history of this movie and just the way it is that I feel like God's hands are in it. I guess we should mention we're right wing thinkers, <laughs> uh, and that's gonna that's gonna come out. We're libertarians, but that's gonna come out once in a while. So. Um, how how Christian is the movie, but 
I mean, if, if you read the Bible, God, God sent angels to help people. So it's not even, it, it, I mean, it's not even a stretch of the imagination. No, and people, I saw some things online that it's like watered down Christianity um, because it's the God is a galaxy and it's a generic, everyone's just praying to a generic God like Jesus hasn't mentioned. But uh, this is a God who actually, this is a God who actually cares. Directly like, this is a, angels, though. Angels is Christian. And this is a God who actually like cares and is like, joyous and jovial and cares about this one little person. That's I mean, also the audience who would watch it back then. I mean, it's going to be almost entirely Christians. Right. No, it is a Christian movie. It's, it doesn't matter if it's, it's not, not theologically perfect. So heavy handed as nowadays. Right. There's, there's a history about, I don't, you, you know, it was based off a book, right? Um, I, I saw that. I, I've, I haven't read the original book though. Um, have you? No, Philip Van Doren. Um, now oh, I can't read the name. <laughs> um, oh, the greatest gift. the 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 name of the book is the greatest gift. Yeah, was, uh, and he only printed two hundred copies of it, and as the first run, and it got into the hands of a producer somehow. Got luck. You know, the, the, the history of the movie, itse- the making of the movie itself matches it. Right. Yeah, that, that's just, a, um, it, that's just an amazing coincidence. Well, not a coincidence, in my view. That. And the fact that the movie itself flopped at theaters, but, and, that, and then the, the, the corporation that owned it let, it let it go into the public domain, so then it got played on TV all the time. And mm-hmm. then it became a Christmas classic. But, uh, but, but the director himself, Frank Capra, is that how you pronounce his last name? Yeah. Frank, Frank Capra. It's, it, 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 it was his own personal favorite movie that he made. And mm-hmm. he would show it to his family every year. Yeah, and I think Jimmy Stewart said, uh, said it was Harvey was his favorite role, but George Bailey was second. Uh, that was his first movie after the war too, and he had P- he was dealing with PTSD. Well, Harvey's another movie that touched me a lot too. I didn't see Harvey yet. We'll have to talk about that one. Future one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, to me, in my view, that's some divine intervention that it gets so widespread because they just forget to, you know. They drop the rights to it and it can be played on TV and then only 200 copies and one of them gets to a producer. And There, there isn't much from that era in the public domain. So they very intentionally let that go into it. Yeah, it, it was – they got it back in 94, I guess. So it only played on NBC after that because um, I guess they own the soundtrack and something else. That happened. Yeah. That happened with uh, a lot of the Hanna Barbera cartoons. They had to record new soundtracks or something for it. They what a mess. It. This illegal mess ruining art. Anyways. <laughs> um, yeah. So th- it, the, the last part is the, the last part where he goes through his life, seeing it without himself. I mean, that's, um, 
that's the only thing in the book. Everything else was written for the movie. So this yeah. is kind of really movies style. Yeah, it's kind of it is Frank Capra's story. Oh, is it um, a short story or is it um Yeah, it's a short story. Well, well that's why then. Yeah. That makes sense. And there is uh, there is a video essay I put down there too that goes through the differences between it. You know, that's an example of re remixing. Yeah, yeah, it is. It was the inspiration that just built entirely on it. Mm -hmm. Um. So, yeah, the the other part that always gets to me is, um, the the part with Mary where he comes back to see her and and the kissing scene between them and how George is kind of getting over his anger in the moment. Uh, just that the whole, that, that was a first take too. And Jimmy Stewart was nervous about that. And Frank Camper just wanted him to well, put his nervousness on the screen. Um, and I already forget the guy's name. <laughs> his, his, his uncle though, who lost the money. There's a scene where he walks in and uh, gets really angry at him. That really got me. Yeah, George Bailey has He's a temper. A calm dude throughout the entire movie. Yeah, George Bailey has definitely has a temper problem. <laughs> well, then he but that's. Well, then he went home and it's like he's trying to control. He's trying to keep it under control in front of his wife. Yeah. Kids. Well, that's something uh, most men can relate to. Yeah, it, he's a very dynamic character. You. You give him the, you give him leeway on that just because he's making such a big sacrifice of his life for others. Well, he's been such a great guy throughout the entire movie. Yeah, and you know that he's mad about it all, and you can empathize with that. So, and then of course Jimmy Stewart just acts it brilliantly, unlike maybe one of the best performances ever. I do think this movie is it transcends. Christmas and even like American Hollywood films. I just think it's an incredible story and incredible in, in terms of the art of filmmaking. I think it's one of the best. Uh, I, I think it goes beyond just like it's a Christmas tradition to watch it. I think if you just examine it on its own, it's really there's there's not a lot of mistakes in it, if at all. Um, there is a, it has a very clear structure. That I broke mm -hmm. down in my over sixteen hundred words. Okay, you can go in. You go into it. <laughs> All of it. <laughs> sure. Or summarize as best you can. I can summarize as best I can. Well, the, the well, there is. I use I use Dramatica to examine it, which I don't know. I I won't go into it all here, but there you can go look up what that is. It, it, it's a way to analyze stories and to help write your own. But in it, the the it begins with uh, everybody wanting to stop George from committing suicide, of course. Mm -hmm. But then it instantly, it should, well, at least that's how I took it. I, I thought he was trying to stop Mr. Gower from committing suicide because of that. You know what I mean? I, I, I thought that was showing him doing the same thing first to establish the story. Oh, okay. I thought it was something a bit different, but... Nonetheless, but it's but it instantly shows him being a good guy. Then he stops his brother. He saves his brother from drowning. Mm -hmm. Well, the foreshadowing of the whole movie is right in the beginning with uh, with Mister Gower giving buying him the suitcase. It does, yeah. So that already established that kind of establishes what's going to happen. 
Did you did you watch it in color? No, I didn't. Okay. Um, so this is what I white, so I didn't. Yeah, this was my first time watching it in color, and it was kind of a revelation. It was like. I think the movie comes to life even more in color. And and I thought I would not like it. Um, but th- this must have been a bigger restoration than what was on released on DVD or what was in Technicolor. I'm not sure. Well, it, it was only colorized for Blu-ray. Okay. Well, a couple of... So it, maybe it's a new colorization. I didn't really look it up. But uh, yeah, I thought it was beautiful and in color the neutral colors of everything and there's there's some method to it all where they just turn a few dials and it brings the color out yeah i don't think it's i mean yeah i'm sure it's not 100 natural uh but i loved it i there there there's some scenes of like shadow that are way more defined in the color like a dark shadow when he's in the house he's in the broken down house near the end uh there's just it was it's beautiful in color uh but most people know it in black and white and it's still beautiful in in that too but um that was uh definitely enjoyable to watch it like that um i guess i can go some of the things i noticed uh american community (laughs) is totally missing now <laughs> in this day and age. I guess things are more online about uh, him trying him, him saving it or keeping it going anyway. Him, yeah. It's getting taken it, over. Yeah. It's definitely about sacrificing to preserve an American community, we but I haven't talked about Mr. Potter yet. Well, yeah, we kind of, we've lived in the world of Mr. Potter on, on steroids our whole lives, I think. Something that really stood out to me is that the wheelchair he's in, it sits higher than everybody else. That, I noticed that too. And and it also looks like a throne. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, he's asserting his dominance. It's very upfront imagery there. It, it's not. It's not. It's not slight. It's not sleight of hand. You know what he is, right? <laughs> when he's sitting at that table, it was. Set, it's. It's kind of almost an awkward camera angle when he's sitting at the table in in uh, in George's loan loan business. Yeah, because the camera's up. It's, it's over his shoulder. So well, George and everybody. Well, George notices it when he sits down. Yeah, he just kind of sinks into it, and he's like. I, I, that was definitely intentional for George oh, to be flustered when, by it. When you're at Mr. Potter's office, yeah. I mean, he, yeah. He, I mean, he's practically sitting on the floor. Yeah. Um, another visual thing I noticed was the snow coming in to show that we're going into the new, the other, the original universe. I oh, should that, say that final, the final shot when he when he comes back into the universe, I, I think is is the, be, the best one in the movie, probably. Mm. He puts his head yeah. on the snow stops, and then the police car comes up. So you're not quite sure. No, the snow comes in. The, the, the snow is the snow comes back in. Yeah, that's right. The, the snow yeah, comes back in. The snow comes back in to show that transition. No, but when uh, the, way the police car shows up, you still, you know, it still it still creates that little bit of suspense. Mm. Yeah. Um. But it's also the wind, the door. 
um, the wind pushing the door open, that shows the transition too. So the weather was used as a transition for the, you know, taking out George Bailey from the universe, so the Mandela effect of George Bailey. The Mandela um, effect. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there, that there's that visual. Um, I also noticed this is a this is basically a Christmas carol. Almost in reverse. It is, He's yeah. George George Bailey's a little bit of a Scrooge with his yeah, temper. It was absolutely inspired by it. It must have Yeah. Been. I mean, it's just one angel. But he is showing he's showing him some really dark stuff. And it's not for the same purpose, but it's it's definitely got some similarities there. So that's one thing that jumped out to me, which which does connect it more to Christmas. Um, well, something what I noticed is um, everybody's trying to stop George from committing suicide. But then he he saves multiple people from dying. And that that establishes that um, life is very much worth something, and it's worth saving. And, and well, it should that a, a, that a a solution to so many problems in the movie is 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 is, is, is saving people. Yeah, yeah. The whole theme is self sacrifice. Um, yeah, and Clarence kind of taps into George Bailey's instincts to do that to save somebody. Uh, so Clarence knew he would go in and save him. Well, because his whole thing—I mean, he—he's given up his whole dream of, uh, of you know, traveling around the world and becoming an architect. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole time he wants to leave the town, and then something, and then that's, and then a cycle that is something I always try to—I always try to find that cycle throughout the movie—is that there's mm-hmm. an issue that keeps on reoccurring and keeps building. Yeah, causes the character internally or externally, you know, to to keep on being pushed down. Mm-hmm. It, it, it keeps on compounding the problem. It, it's a snowball effect, you could say, throughout the movie. Yeah, um, I just noticed this one too when he, um, when he's making the house for the big Italian family, and. They see the guy that told them to invest in plastics. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he just kind of walks over to the car and kicks his door in. So he's... A- that that character sort of serves as another Mr. Potter in a way. Doesn't it? I mean, he, 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 he's not rude and crude, but he, he, he's sort of another angle of Mr. Potter. You know what I mean? He's a very he's, he's another version. He, he's, he's he's another. He's almost George on a different, a more successful version of him. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's almost like the inverse. Yeah, he he serves as an example of what George maybe could have had. Well, yeah, Mister Potter kind of entices him with that. Exactly. Or tries tries to make him sell out. Well, um, he he also Potter kicks it. Go ahead. <laughs> well, well, Mr. Potter, he actually tries to pull G- George more towards George's dreams of leaving. Yeah. He tries to buy him out and get, he's, he's trying to give George what he wants in a way, which yeah. that really established him more as the villain. And that in, in that, the part of George that wants to leave isn't, isn't a good thing. 
It's the part that's right. holding him back because he needs to, he needs to realize what he has around him. Yeah. So, so the, the nerd writer essay pointed that out that the community just does, does just as much for George as he does for them. The whole, would the cops help put his honeymoon together? That, yeah. Um, also a very beautiful scene. Um, uh, and then Mary, Mary loved him for who he is really. Yeah. She didn't even want to. Uh, yeah. She, she wasn't, she did all the work the being given away. <laughs> she yeah. She did the money being given away actually. So she could have the honeymoon in the house. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she does all the work to try to get him basically. Um, in the beginning. Well, she's the uh, one who was pursuing the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That doesn't happen anymore. Um, so, uh, did it ever? No, I don't know. In reality, uh, definitely the the yeah the nerd writer essay pointed that out that the community just he he just George Bailey just forgets how much the community loves loves him. I mean, the way they help him out at the bar too uh, when he's drunk. Um, he just kind of. George Bailey's a little self he he's self-sacrificing, but in his tunnel vision he's selfish. He's like um he, he he's just go ahead. He definitely well he wants very bad to be selfish, but he, he is a good person and, and his his conscience is holding him back the whole time. Yeah, he's he's mad that he's self-sacrificial. He's mad that he's stuck there. And it's it's a struggle that everybody will I mean this is a struggle of human life. This this movie is a struggle of human life more than anything else, because everyone wants to leave where they are and go do something. How many parents could um, empathize with them? I mean, but parents give up a lot for their kids, right? Right. And I mean, especially in the modern times, I mean, there's probably many who think that you know they're being held back by their family. And that's the and. That's strange too, because that's the first time you see his whole family, and the first time you see him with his whole family is him like, "Why do we have so many kids?" It's and true. he's it's true. Um, they, they've mentioned before. Did you see his daughter before that or not? I, I think you see a daughter before that. No, I don't think so. Oh. It's a huge oh, jump. Going through it, I, I, I don't think so either. No, you don't. Yeah, so that's interesting. That that is that is an interesting choice. I mean, that's very, that's uh, definitely something that uh, is, is is extremely relevant today. That scene. Yeah. And that that is the first, and that's like you know right after he freaks out on the uncle. I thought you see it earlier because it's it's quite a bit before that that you hear that Mary's pregnant. Right after he first he first had the meeting with Mister Potter about uh, him trying to buy him out. Yeah. Oh yeah, and that keeps him there. Yeah, that keeps him in town. That keeps him in town. Well, yeah, I'm noticing that too. He walks away. Well, he walks away from Mister Potter, still thinking about it, and then having a daughter made him choose otherwise. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I don't think he directly says it, but it's heavily implied. Um, one thing the nerd writer also pointed out was the Blue Moon Cafe. Uh, it's like a half moon. 
okay, in the in the universe where George Bailey doesn't exist, and Pottersville is kind of like Las Vegas, you know, and Violet is almost like a stripper or a prostitute, and he's seeing all this stuff. He sees the Blue Moon Cafe, and it's uh, in a crescent moon, you know, whereas in the in the universe with George Bailey, you know, it's like he'll lasso down the full moon for a girl. Um, and uh, that's, that's just kind of a visual thing. It's like, okay, well, a lot of this, it's, the moon is gone. George Bailey's gone. Something I didn't pick up on. Yeah, that's, that's see, I mean, maybe it's not intentional, but it's also blue. You, you know, he's got the blues. That, that, like, that kind of stuff. Usually, I mean, well, the, the moon is used as a, as a theme throughout the movie. So it's probably very intentional. Yeah, maybe. That's definitely an interesting thing. Uh, also, one video essay pointed out was a very uh, lefty uh, perspective on the movie. Um, that uh, Potter has like a skull on his desk and Napoleon bust. I don't know if you noticed that too. Oh, well, yeah, it's signs of power. Well, I mean, yeah. the, skull, the skull would be all of the people he screwed over in town. Mm -hmm. And well, all of us know who Napoleon is. Yeah. Um, now, do you think that's uh, from an economic point of view? I mean, George Bailey's running an honest bank, right? But he's also kind of running a charity. Well, it's a loan, yeah. I mean, well, it's practically it's practically a charity. I mean, he he handed out his own money. But it's usually that historically, you know, most artists have been leftists. They usually hate businessmen. The bad guy is always a greedy businessman. You know, whereas we're more empathetic to the entrepreneur and the businessman well, I mean, type as capitalists. <laughs> George's is a small business, obviously. But it's run, it's not run for much product. I mean, at the beginning, what his dad says, you trade one, one, one penny for two or something like that. Oh, I don't remember that. I mean, yeah, Potter has no life balance. He probably has a miserable life in a lot of ways. I mean, he just sits there in his wheelchair counting his money. Uh, well, it is, but I don't know. I mean, he's... <laughs> His whole thing is just seeking power. And, and money is power in the modern day. Yeah, I just don't... I just wonder if it's, like, used as a way for the left to attack uh, the free market. Or free market... People who are, you know, making a lot of money in the free market. But you... Potter straight up steals money. <laughs> so... Well, he's well he, he... He... He sell He sells... He sells terrible housing for far too much money because 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 he's he's trying to build a monopoly and he is yeah. a monopoly he's basically a monopoly throughout much of it although george does end up gaining more and more ground on him which is why he tries to buy him out right but that shows right. that well i but if you take it that way a a, a business run by a good person wins is the point in the end right I think even, so. Even throughout, even throughout the middle of the movie, George is gaining ground on him. Yeah. No, I mean, 
there has to be life balance between how much money you're making and what you're actually doing in the and Potter has no balance in that. I just think it's like I think the left sees it as all business is no is the unbalanced Potter. Well, yeah. Well, um, maybe I saw it more as 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 the good business wins in the end. <laughs> the good I don't know much about political films from a long time ago. Like, um, that that'd be definitely interesting thing to study. But um, I mean, a lot of those just assumptions are kind of there forever in movies because leftists make most of the art. So, <clears throat> Mister Potter seems like a caricature of that, but. Well, he's I the caricature of that. Um, but the counter, but he sees a he sees a thief too. <laughs> like he's not just buying out people. He's not a businessman making a trade. He just stole money from the uncle knowingly. You know, eight thousand dollars just took it. So, and and he lives a miserable life alone, um, just wanting to make more gains. Well, that's what he's so. Doing. That is yeah, he's well, seeking power. That's what he's doing. Yeah, so but just not all. I, I saw not all good businessmen are thieves like Mister Potter. Is what I'm saying. I, I saw it. I saw it as a as as a good businessman winning over the bad one because it's two competing businesses throughout the movie. Right. No, they're making. He's yeah. The, the, the people. Businessman won. So I don't. I mean. I don't. I don't think it's anti-business because of that. Well, it's not like yeah. It, it's just that the bank, the loan, the loaning out the money, you know, hoping that they paid it back in the end. Um, I mean that's how the bank makes money. But he does like get bankrupt several times just because he's more giving. So it's almost like half charity. But you're doing that to keep the community growing. Well, yeah. So, how, yeah, I mean, it was practically charity work. It's for-profit charity almost. Well, charity stuff. I guess that's a way to see bank loans, I guess. But, but, yeah. Yeah. In, in, in the end, a charity has to make a profit, technically. That's just a nerdy economic uh, observation. Um, uh, the... Also for visual stuff, uh, the galaxies and God. You mentioned that that was that's a very interesting way to show it. Um, you think like they didn't even get to space yet, so I just thought of like people back then in America, what they would have thought. Well, like, you know, praying to the stars as the heavens. Yeah, and just I don't. Yeah, I don't think people even had a clue of what other planets look like it out there at that moment, at that point in history. Well, they, they knew in a, well, they knew in a general way that Saturn had rings and stuff like that. I, I don't think right. they had a de detailed view of it like today. Cause I'm trying to think there was a, there was a special effects documentary that came out in black and white and it was Stanley Kubrick basically scooped up all the artists for that for 2001 and I'm trying to think of when that came out. Might have been the fifties. That had special. The whole well, that, that that that's a whole different animal for special effects. Well, that that was like 
that was the first I think that's one of the first times there was like a three almost like a three dimensional on video visual of what planets and stars look like oh, yeah. what they thought it looked like well, so for the, the heavens the stars to be seen as divine what must have been commonplace well speaking of the galaxies in wonderful life you mentioned earlier that there was a Christian some Christians had 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 a had it took issue with that representation um just that it's like oh that it makes not a detailed cool. analysis it's just he's, he's a very generic it's a very generic god uh it it, it would almost make um god is like the galaxies like he's a part like he he is the galaxy or he's a part of nature um but i don't i'm not expecting perfect theology from a fictional film well, I, well I, the the typical old man with a beard is a, is a symbol too yeah um it's just you wonder if like um a hindu or a boot that part of god doesn't really have form that part of the trinity yeah like a pantheist religions wouldn't would might see it that way too but the thing is with with this is that this is a happy jovial old man god who cares about one single person on earth like that is that is 100 christian there's no other really religion that thinks that it's like nature is this impersonal force or there's no God at all caring about us. Uh, this is a personal God who cares about one single human being and sends an angel to help him just because people pray to him that that's 100% Christian. So it doesn't, I mean, it's just a great visual kind of the, the splendor of nature is definitely a part of God. So to show it just lighting up, I mean, it's, I don't know. I, mean, I think it's just a great simple, visual for it's it. It's very simple since it's a very simple symbol. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Try saying that. But yeah. it, I guess I guess you could argue it makes it a little more universal, but the old man is a symbol too, so I mean there you you're trying to show that that it's God. Right. And and uh Clarence reflects that too. He's an he's a simple, jovial old man. He is well. He, he he's also a he's a he's a very interesting looking person too. You know what I mean? Yeah. He is. He, he he's much more eccentric. He isn't like super handsome or anything. Anything like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, even him, his personality is far from perfect too. He makes some yeah. kinds of snide, he he makes snide remarks too. Like, oh boy, this is going to be a tough one. Yeah, yeah. He's very sarcastic. Um, so the other head angel that doesn't really like him, the grumpy one, uh, he says he has the high IQ of a rabbit. And then God's like, yes, put the faith of a child. So do people think, do people think rabbits were stupid back then? Well, I mean, a rabbit doesn't, well, I mean, it's a small animal. It doesn't, I mean, it runs that's just an observation. I don't know. That's just a I, weird I, I observation. I, I, don't, I don't think that's tied to any specific um, trope that people had back then for a rabbit. Well, I guess I guess he could have said. I guess he could have been implying he was kind of scared or timid. Though he didn't. He doesn't really act that way. 
Because he jumps in the water. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I just was like, do people, I just, that was a weird observation. Um, I'm, 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 I'm trying to stretch it to make sense of it. I'm trying, well, people must have thought rabbits were stupid back then. That's all I can well, think. I mean, a rabbit's not super intelligent, right? Right. Yeah, I guess not. I, I just don't think we think of it the same way. Like, we think other animals are stupid, like... A sloth. Sloths, yeah. Um, anyways. Uh, Clarence has some amazing quotes in this movie. Um, oh, he, does. he does. Yeah. Uh, I think it's when he's coming out of the bar or coming out of the house. He says... It's just strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? Uh, I thought that was an incredible quote. I think it comes, it's just put in there perfectly. Uh, it gets you thinking about your own life, you know, where others would be without you. I think, I think that's why this movie has such staying power, because it gets everybody thinking about the impact they're making and maybe even to make more of an impact. Um, so I love that line in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. A, lot, a line that I thought was interesting is that they don't, they don't use money in heaven. Yes. I knew you could, I knew you noticed that line and then, yeah, I, I wrote it down and then, and then George Mary was like, yeah, well, it's pretty useful down here, Bob. <laughs> Well, it is. I mean, that it's is beautiful down here, Bub. We don't say well, Bub anymore. Well, anybody in such big debt, you know, is. I mean, that thought's going to cross their mind nowadays. Still, yeah, it's a huge problem. Yeah, but you know, he's saved by his community. He is, which we're not, we, and we don't. I mean, we just don't. I mean, we. I guess we have that online a little bit. Well, we just don't have that in person anymore. Go, go fund me. Well, we have GoFundMe's, yeah, but well, there's a lot, a lot of, of scheme. Take issue oh, with that. There's a lot of scheming on there. Well, um, I, mean, I don't know. People use it's just harder. I mean, but if it's someone you know in your town that you see every day, it's easier to know if they're trustworthy. It it definitely is. Yeah. Uh, in the beginning, when uh, they're warming up. Um, he also says, uh, where is it? Um, I forget how it comes up, but he says there's a new book Mark Twain is working on. I remember, or you, yeah. should, you should see the new book Mark Twain is writing. I'm like, did they really think Mark Twain was in heaven? <laughs> I mean, was, isn't he one of the, like, the first new atheists? Well, I don't, I guess. Maybe it was just a recognizable, maybe it was just because he was a recognizable author. But that line jumped out to, to me. Um, Let's look it up. And of course, the last thing he writes, no man is a failure who has friends. Also a beautiful line from Clarence. I don't know how big, I don't know how, how much did he argue against Christianity? He was critical. Yeah, it says that. If Christ were here now, there's one thing he would not be a Christian. Well, he seemed to respect Christ. Going by that yeah, 
Yeah, everyone gives Jesus lip service. Well, he might he might have had problems with the mod with with, with what Christianity was becoming. We'd, we'd, I'd have to see it what he's saying in context. Yeah, true. That's true. Um, here's some here's some funny things I observed in the movie. That I don't know if you caught this, but young George Bailey, okay. Young George Bailey in the beginning when he's talking to Mary about how he's going to travel, he says, I want lots of harems and multiple yeah, wives. Yeah. Did yeah. you notice that? I, I, I did hear it. I mean, he was a really, he was, he was a young teenager. <laughs> he didn't just say he wanted a harem no, and multiple wives. He wanted lots of harems. He wanted lots of harems. He wanted several groups of women and wives on top of that. Well, well, some somebody we know in real life is working on that. <laughs> yes, yes. Sadly, I just, that that line like freaked me out. I was like, "Oh well, my I, god!" I was a bit surprised it actually got in there, but yeah, me too. He was a young teenager, so but but I mean, he, he didn't he didn't do that. He didn't even consider it later on. So whatever. It's just funny to think that that teenager said that back then. You were just shit talking that, with the homies. <laughs> in, in the forties, they said, "I want man, I want some harems." That, and I'm, I'm. They're probably thinking of Saudi Arabia, right? <laughs> there was comics and stuff. You know. That, yeah, well, they, the big muscle guys in comics were doing that kind of stuff. Well, yeah. So I, I, my, if he's thinking of traveling too, it must have been he must have been thinking of like Saudi Arabia and the princes having all their women and stuff. Yeah, I guess he was, uh, yeah, he was, would have been, he was going everywhere. Um, the the Black Maid Annie, uh, she says, that's why all children should be girls when the guys are making a lot of noise upstairs. It was a very feminist line. I didn't like that one. You didn't like that <laughs> No, I don't. You, you, you disapprove no. of a I, I, I do. Now, she's, she's funny and sassy throughout the movie. Um, but, uh, then the, like the brother, like chasing her around and then slaps her in the butt. Did you, did you notice that? I know it was a playful thing, but I was just like taken oh, aback yeah. by that. Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, they were goofing around with people that they know well, so. I, I well, that's, that's another thing that's lost is men being able to just goof around. To just slap booty. Now. Is that what you're saying? Really? Well, slap not slap booty, people. but no, I mean, it's just. The playfulness, that's also lost today. Like uh, the, the kind of fear, fearless play, playfulness. Um, I guess we'd have to ask the actress what she thinks of that scene. It's just, it just jumped out to me. I, it's just, it's Excuse part of leftist. Miss, what did you think about that S smack? Yeah. <laughs> It's just part of leftist brainwashing to like worry about all this stuff. Like, because when you're a kid, you don't notice that. I was mostly surprised by the harem one because I know about the, the censors back then. Yeah. So, so, um, so he, here's a quote I took down that um, I, I think it showed that George had some similar ambitions to uh, Mr. Potter early on. This is this is when he's a teenager and they're walking around, you know, after that party. Yeah. And he says, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and the next year and the year after that. 
which also shows that he he really planned he really planned his life out. <laughs> he really planned it out. I'm yeah. shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet, and I'm going to see the world, Italy, Greece, the the Pantheon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know. Then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers a hundred stories high. I'm going to build bridges a mile long. You saw that kind of stuff in Pottersville on the bad timeline. It was very built up. Into That's true. Lines. Yeah. That's true. So he, Yeah, he, he's, uh, he's a big dreamer. Potter had uh, some similar ambitions. Yeah, and... So maybe it, working at the loan center humbled him. Well, it's definitely the, the influence of his dad just kind of over him most of the time. Um, and then, and then definitely him letting his brother go out and have all those adventures too. And another kind of self-sacrifice. He does kind of, his brother kind of lives down. Mary tied him yeah. down too. Um, Cause she didn't want him to go. Mm -hmm. she, she was another thing holding him back. Yeah. Him. That, yeah, and that's why he gets mad at her in that scene. Though she managed to go to college. Yeah, she did. Would she have gone otherwise? I don't know. She might not mm. have. Well, college wasn't a uh, life-ruining debt expensive like it was well, today. Yeah, but she just became a housewife after. Yeah. <laughs> didn't even use that. Yeah, I know. Um, uh. The, there's a long take um, concerning his brother um, when he comes off the train and he's like, he's talking to his brother's wife and she's like, yeah, he's got this great job opportunity with my dad. Um, and that's one whole long take of them coming off the train and, you know, and his brother goes, oh, don't worry, George, I'm not going to let you leave you behind. You, I'm going to take over the loan the um the bank and all that and it just kind of stays the camera stays on george bailey and he's just like you know looking concerned and sad and kind of i'm gonna make the sacrifice again worried about his brother well, because he because he came back with with his wife there yeah the woman and, who was gonna marry him and he just kind of and he goes over to the wife and asks her about the job so that that long take is amazing just keeping on George Bailey, keeping on Jimmy Stewart, seeing his concerned face and just kind of knowing like, yeah, I should, I should really let my brother just take that job. Uh, that was definitely one uh, scene that stood out to me. Um, another one was uh, uh, Zuzu on his, on his back when he's um, hugging all the kids when he comes back. And she just stays, uh, she just stays climbed on top of him. I thought that was amazing acting just what for Frank Capra to let that happen. What, what makes him so empathetic too, is that you see his entire life throughout the movie. It makes it really bad. I mean, it makes it a long. I mean, not, not everything can do that. Of course, with such a long runtime, but I do find us much more powerful, you know, when you see such a huge stretch of a character's life, it really puts everything into context. Yeah. Later on. 
Yeah, definitely. Like just a book with the last part, I mean, I haven't read it, but it, it must have to imply a lot about his, his, his original life to just have that final act in there. Mm -hmm. And it leaves a lot for his future. Now he has enough money to, to fulfill some of those dreams with his family. You know, not now, I mean, the, now the sky can be the limit because he's done so much for his community. Now he can fulfill some of those dreams. So if you just kind of wait and take care of other people, they think, I think that's part of the lesson here with the movie. Um, one more uh, funny observation I had is this uh, cop that just starts shooting in the middle of the city. I don't know if they've always that been was, this trigger happy. He just, he, he, he just let it rip. He's just like, stand back. And <laughs> I was like, oh my God, you're doing this in the middle of the town, bro. Could go through. And then he misses, of course. Yeah. I mean, where's the bullet? He could have hit other people. Where's it flying through somebody's window? Where's it going? So, so, so have cops always done this? Have we been putting up with this it's just for this movies. long? It's just movies. Yeah, but I don't know. That was crazy. I hope they weren't trained like that back then, just to shoot in the middle of the city. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Unless that's part of Pottersville, that the cops just suck in Pottersville. Maybe that's part of it, too. I don't know. Well, maybe. He certainly didn't care about the other people too much anyway, right? He didn't really show... I mean, everybody seems suspicious of each other in Pottersville. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's the end of my notes. I don't know what else you want to touch on. I think we're at like an hour and a half, right? We're at an hour. Oh, okay. One hour. I, don't know, I, I, I think we've gone through the movie. Like, I, 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 I think wish I, I could show a few clips from it, but we know how that goes. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We've been kind of scattershot everywhere. I don't know if we want to talk about like structure the podcast, talk about cinematography, acting and the story. We, or we, we could just could, we could make sections in the future, I guess. Right. Yeah. Well, depending on what people want to hear, I guess. Well, the acting in the movie is fantastic. It is. I have to say that. Well, that's, that's the reason if it yeah. was so emotional, too. Yeah. Yeah, they really gave their all in that movie. I mean, to the point of bleeding air lap slaps and uh, the, the freakouts that Jimmy Stewart has constantly. Um Oh, yeah. Mary's mom. Screw her. That was... That She's was, horrible. That, that, was, that was such an uncomfortable scene. I know. Yeah, but she's, like, angry at the wedding, too. It's like, why are you like this? I was trying to figure out if she <laughs> I was, was so mad. angry about it. I was trying to figure out if she was mad or not at the wedding, honestly. <laughs> she was. She looked just distraught. I don't know why she did she kind of did. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she thought she knew George Bailey had a temper and she was like, I don't like this guy. <laughs> he blew up once in a whole movie. 
Um, what's the other? Oh, the other scene. Uh, yeah, one of the video essays I sent, I had to give it credit because there's stuff in there. But, you know, it's like, oh, it deals with sexual harassment when he has her uh, her her robe. When he keeps her robe oh, in the bushes. Yeah. I thought that scene is hilarious. It was a funny scene. Like, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a funny scene. He's like, a man every day doesn't find him. <laughs> Just the way he delivers it and everything. And, that, and then, you know, that's him enjoying his life. And then it, the news comes that his father had a heart attack. So now he's going to stay. You know, like he can't go to her to call it with her to call it or anything. The first time we got stopped. <laughs> that, I always said every time we got stopped, even even he, he couldn't go into war because of the because um, of his year being deaf in one a year. Oh, I didn't catch that. Well, he was uh, he, he he was he was he was somewhat jealous of his brother too. You know, getting to do all you know he was so successful in the war. Personally, I would yeah. be happy to not go to war, but hey. Yeah, me too. Okay, people feel different about that, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, he, I mean, Jimmy Stewart. That that's his. This is his first movie after he gets back, and he's suffering with all these issues. So he was perfect for these, um, these temper tantrums, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but you know. I watched a, a video essay on Twin Peaks, which is incredible. It's like four hours long. Everyone should go seek it out. Um, I'm forgetting the name of the channel, but, uh, you know, David Lynch is basically, he thinks that TV has gotten too shallow. And he says, when you're making art and when you're making film, you should really have the evil be evil and the good be good. And you shouldn't make the evil kind of trivial. Uh, and he thought that TV was making evil trivial and answers were there in one episode. The killer got caught in one episode and it never affects the cops. They just keep doing their job like they didn't just see this, you know, go through this traumatic experience. And so in Twin Peaks, he wants to push it to a death affects the whole town and it's traumatic and show the sadness and show what's going on. And for a time of the year where people watch like really light things, uh, like really light Christmas specials for kids and things the whole family can enjoy, this movie has all the darkness in it. It has all that sadness, uh, all that trauma, and it like it has that balance of it takes you down to the lowest low and then brings you back up to the highest high at the end. And that's what makes it so uh, impactful at the end. And, and it, it, it does affect everybody in the story. Everybody in the story is affecting each other too. Yeah. It's just that you need those low points to show, to make the higher points even higher. So that's a frustrating thing sometimes with family movies, Christian movies. And uh, maybe even like directors who self-censor themselves where they are toning things down. Sometimes you need to tone things down. There's, there's sometimes 
there's a lot of shying away from contrast in TV and film now, you know? Um, well, it's, well, everybody thinks that being gray is deep. Gray morality is deep. <laughs> it puts every, every, every character on the same level almost. I, th I don't think it's more as like the morality is gray. That can always be interesting, like a moral choice. I think it's the reactions from the characters are like, just stay the same. You know? Uh, well, if if everybody in the movie is a gray morality, they, I guess they're not going to react too harshly, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it could be because they practically agree with each other. It's just, it's just so sad, though, that that's like the instincts. Even, I mean, it's always been when the film code came in from both the right and the left. It's more so the left now. Just. Uh, anything that's bad in the movie makes the whole movie bad. <laughs> you know, like even if it's depicted, it's like judged morally. I think that's one of the cri uh, critiques of um, uh, Roger Ebert is that he would judge a film's morality rather than it's cinema. Um, but I don't know. I've been watching this movie for a long time and I never thought, wow, that's a really dark film. But just watching some of the film essays now, they pointed it out how dark it really, some of the issues are and well, some of the scenes are. Only with suicide. Yeah, but but the highs are so high <laughs> and the are, message yeah, is so are, good. They are. <laughs> I, it just, that just never stayed with, the bad parts never stayed with me. If anything, they just amplified the good. It's full of hills and valleys throughout the movie, definitely. But that, yeah, well, it does. It, it, it makes that it makes it that much more impactful. Yeah, I think the hills and valleys are better to have. I mean, the whole in art. I mean, practically the whole fourth act is quite dark. But yeah, it ends. It ends with such a big, a big celebration. And it, it's him. I mean, it's George Bailey being good throughout the whole movie too. You know, it's yeah, it's. Well, it's just one of the best re rewarded. Yeah. Because he finally saw what he had. He was re rewarded, but still he, he was, he was finally rewarded for it all. Yeah. Um, that might be one criticism, I guess, is that that doesn't always happen in life. Uh, it doesn't know, but and it's not, it's not even guaranteed to happen if you pray. Uh, that's the thing to struggle with as a Christian, I guess. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I guess it could be unrealistic, but it's trying to show the good side of life where it works out. It's not as if it never works out. It's just not guaranteed in real life. It's yeah, it's not guaranteed. Um, but I think something's going to happen eventually. If you keep putting out good into the world, you got to get some of it back. That's at some point, even, even if it's in a small way, I think you'll, if you get other people to care about you just for, by caring about them, th those things will happen, even if it takes a long time. You know, the, you, if George Bailey was a real person, you know, and you told him everyone in town is going to make you the richest guy there in the future, <laughs> if you just, you know, stay here and give up your dreams <laughs> and have kids, you know, you would he would have never believed. He would never believe you, so...
Well, yeah, he had to go through a lot fighting off, you know, fighting off Mr. Potter to become the new guy, the new richest guy in town. Yeah, if it wasn't for Mr. Potter, George Bailey just... Well, the bank run... Well, it came around, they they did a bank run on, on Mr. Potter. In the end. Yeah. Yeah. See, it came back around. Uh, one of the things the film essays pointed out was that the code you had to have the bad guy be punished or reprimanded or he had he had to uh the, the bad guys the bad that the the bad guys can't get get away with it mr potter gets away with it if, if you're into noir movies that uh you just instantly see that film code come into effect if, if you go year by year you just instantly see it happen yeah that I mean, I mean, yeah, it's over, so ty- over, it's so over, tyrannical. Overnight movies became propaganda for cops. Exactly, exactly. Um, but in this movie, I don't know. I don't know how they got away with it. Um, Mr. Potter gets away with stealing the money. Well, at, at, at the end, they 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 take the money out of his bank. Oh, Mr. Oh, I didn't. Bank. Oh, I didn't know that. That's why I said they did a bank run on on him in the end. I thought they were just they. It was just their savings. Well, it's Mister Potter's bank, and they took it from him, and now he's not the richest guy in town anymore. Did they say that? They said one was of that, the last lines in the movie is "Congratulations, George! You're you're the, you're the richest guy in town." No, but did they? I don't. Did did they really have all that money Mr. from Mister Potter's Mr. bank? Mister Potter owns the bank. Huh. That's where the uh, uncle was going to deposit it when he lost it to him. Oh, His okay. Right there too. Oh, th- all right. That I'm makes sure sense. I'm sure Mr. Potter's still wealthy, but he's not. He he doesn't have that control anymore. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. That okay. That makes it even more impactful. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't catch that. I did not catch that. So we've. I think we're done. Yeah, we we came to the conclusion. (laughs) That is the end of the movie. Yeah, it is. Ending on the end of the movie. So, what what do you plan on changing next week for this? What do we plan on picking for the next movie? For the next movie, yeah. Oh, I don't know. I I want to do two thousand one. We'll just have to surprise everybody, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> You're dying. I, I, I want to see what you think of it. Probably I've been wanting to for a Kubrick movie, I thought. Yeah, we will. You have to start with yeah. that war one that I, I have downloaded and have to watch. Oh, Paths of Glory? The very first one, whatever it's, whatever it's called. It's actually public domain. Oh, well, no, I didn't watch that one. Well, you're going to have to, race. I mean, it's not Kubrick Kubrick. It's like teenager Kubrick trying to figure out how to make a movie. Well, too bad. You're going to have to watch it. <laughs> you're going to have to see how, how, how he, he rose up to become your favorite. We don't, we don't have to do it in chronological order. You're going to have to, race. No, you don't have to. You're doing Miyazaki in chronological order. Uh, Yeah, I guess. 
can talk about how he changes from each movie to the other. You can be deep instead of shallow. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, we could just jump around in great films too. I think that's a little more interesting, but um, so we'll uh, okay, we'll figure it we'll out. See you all next time. See ya.